welcome to the latest episode of the HPBA Hotcast. I'm pleased to welcome our Associate Director of Research and Industry Data, Cameron Downs, to our show today. Welcome, Cameron. Thanks for having me. So I want to start just having a quick discussion about research and data in general and how and make and how you use it in making business decisions. Sure. So I just really want to quickly lay out like what data is. We we all hear about it. We all know it's something that's out there, but many people are kind of probably confused. So simply put, data is just facts and stats that are collected and put together and analyzed for reference. Um, They come from a wide variety of sources. This can be professional external research firms. This could be your own internal um, documents and references, things like your track sales, your profit and loss sheets, um, just for a quick example. There's also a lot of different ways you can structure and think about the data. That they include like uh, quantitative and qualitative. That pretty much what they sound like. Really answering the questions of how many, how much, and how often for quantitative things that you can number, and for qualitative, it's things that you can't put into a number, but they still address questions like how something happened or why it happened. It's it's the words, it's the pictures, kind of part. Um, and there's there's some different other versions, but what those are the two main things that HPBA focuses on um, are quant and qualitative reporting. And in my area of work, I really use those reports to help businesses make informed business decisions. Okay, you mentioned business decisions. Um, what sort of business decisions? I mean, would this be marketing? You can definitely use it for marketing. Um, some of the stuff really goes for answering questions like, what do consumers value about a product? Um, You can look at consumer segmentation and persona development. So that's a complex way of saying different consumers have different needs. There's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all approach that you can take to this and say, oh, I I just need a market, you know, this fireplace has so many BTUs or something. For the person who doesn't care about that, that's not going to even get them to walk in your door. So recognizing those kinds of things, it, it, it can be used uh, very successfully in marketing. I guess we all see that. Every time you turn on your computer and go online, you get the targeted ads just to you and, and speaks exactly to your values and interests. I mean, it's it's out there everywhere we see. Now, it also, uh, product development. I've heard that from some of our members that they find our research very helpful for that. Absolutely. So what you really are looking at there are some of the data points surrounding things like product usage. So how frequently is a thing used? When is it used? How is it physically used? Um, You're asking like if you're talking about like let's say a grill or something and how it's used, it's understanding that the person might be saying, oh, I use it as a secondary cooking source, not my primary cooking source, or I'm using certain accessories or components. Um, and all of that data can go back into, you know, R&D and help decide, you know, oh, these are the things we need to add in future iterations, or these are the things that are kind of unnecessary whistles that we can remove that aren't driving consumer happiness or success. Okay, so... HPBA does consumer research in support of both its barbecue and hearth members. And 
So now you've been with HPBA seven years, I think. Talk about how you've changed up the research and what you've kept from years past. I mean, I know that that we've been doing research for, for a long time here, but what, what are some of the changes that you've implemented and also some of the things you've kept? Right. So we, we have kept some of the really good things um, that, in, in especially in the consumer research, that are, you know, general useful statistics to have overall ownership rates, um, types of future purchase intent or re- recent purchasing decision um, criteria. Those, those are things that have always been in these reports. We've kept them. But as I've been here, we've added components like uh, we added more about that consumer segmentation and the persona development. Who are those different types of customers that we want to try and reach out to? Um, We've added and revised stuff to the questionnaires when these go out to uh, address questions that many of the members have rather than, I I like to describe it as the media might have. Um, Probably one of the most famous versions of this is we used to have questions about, you know, for the grilling side, what what did you like to grill? Which was your favorite meats and how frequently did you do it? And and that's great for getting media traction because someone can then say, oh, chicken's the leading thing to do or hamburgers and hot dogs lead on on July 4th. But it's not the most useful data point when you're talking about either marketing or product development for our members. So we kind of had to go back and start looking at some of those questions and make them things that would actually help those members make a business decision. Well, how much input would a member have in in these in the surveys in general? I mean, do you get input from the specific manufacturers? So we actually, each time we go through and we revise these uh, questionnaires during their cycle, they are put and made available to the manufacturing members in those sections. And we also have a committee that helps review and tighten up some of those things. Just because a member might make a request for a certain type of question or a certain type of response is not a guarantee that that it's going to go in, Um, but it helps us know what people might want. So very rarely will you ever have one company ask for something that that makes a change, but if we hear from multiple companies that we want to have something in there, this is helpful, add more like it, or conversely, this is useless, get rid of it. Um, we, we can always do that uh, based on member feedback and participation. And you talk about the cycle. So every other year we do the hearth consumer survey and then uh, in the alternate years, the barbecue. So over the last seven years, now we've done three or four of each. Does that, are you starting to see trends? I mean, I know that's something I get asked by the media all the time. What's, you know, what's, what's the trend you see in ownership or what have you? Yeah, we're definitely at a point that you can start using these reports and seeing trends. I mean, inherently, trends is going to require data over time. Time series, in in this case, for us, is, yes, referring to years. But you can look at a trend over months or days or whatever. But with these ones, yes, you now have three to four iterations of each they definitely are starting to display trends that it's no longer, you know, you're looking at just two separate data points and seeing a straight line connecting. That's not a trend. What you need is to see over four, is it going up, is it going down? And I'd expect that's a reason why you don't want to do a lot of changes to these reports. You can change things around the edges, but the core information needs to be there every year so we can look at it year over year. 
Exactly. So you want to see roughly 80 to 90% of this is probably going to have a lot of the similarities. You might change a word here or there on some of those things. So a question might not be written exactly the same way, but you are getting to the same content. Um, Whereas adding a question and trying to compare it to something that was written 20 years ago is not necessarily going to work. Well, moving away from trends just for a second, I want to get back to that after this next question, but COVID. I mean, COVID has really impacted our industries, and I think that you've captured it in the last few, in the last two surveys, one barbecue, one hearth. What did, I mean, just talk a little bit about the decision to put that in and, uh, and what we found out. You're right. We did add questions about, you know, did you make a purchase because you were at home more because of COVID or have has your behavior utilizing it changed because of the entire COVID experience? Clearly, they can't be trends yet because there's not enough time series data there. Um, but what we have noticed is, I will call them at this point, they are data outliers. We have seen for both Hearth and um, Barbecue that there were some substantial increases in ownership. And that's always a question we have right now because it is only a single data point that we can look at. Did it go up because everyone just was panicked and they were stuck at home? And does that mean we're going to see everything drop back off? Or does it mean that this could be an indicator that we could see continued growth in these categories because all of a sudden people are spending more time at home and they really came to value these products and they want to add more of them? Those are things we don't know yet. We can't say it's a trend to say, oh, we increased ownership of hearth products by 10%. That's not a trend yet. It's an, it's an out, data outlier at this point, but it could be a trend or indicator of what's to come. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So now I want to do talk specifically about some of the trends. So let's just... We're about to enter um, National Fireplace Month in October, but before that, let's just talk about barbecue just for a second. So, what what were the key things you saw in our? Tw- I guess it was the twenty twenty one barbecue consumer survey. There's a couple of things that really stuck out to me, and they are things that are positive trends for the category and for our members. I will say at this point, they are still mostly small niche things. But when you start seeing over my seven years, I've seen some of these questions go from like one to three to five to now we're doubling again to like 10% for some of these kinds of categories. That's that's substantial. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's actually exponential growth. And so there's a couple of areas where this has really become prevalent. Um, one of them was actually outdoor kitchens or at least some sort of dedicated outdoor living space. So we're not talking about, you know, just rolling the little cart style grill out in the middle of the backyard, but actually having some thought and function behind what was put out there. Um, ownership of more than one grill. Frequently, it, this is also still pretty small, but it's frequently that they're um complementary styles of fuels. So someone might have, you know, a gas grill for some quick convenience or something like that. And then they'll add in a charcoal or smoker or something for flavor and artistry. Um, a, a similar component of this is the increasing 
frequency that we were seeing pellet grills take off. I mean, that's that's a category that even before I started was almost consistently 3% or less of the audience was responding to say they had it. And now it's definitely starting to have a rapid uptick. Um, I would say the last one that really stuck out to me is the increased frequency of using your grill at quote unquote off times. Everyone always thinks about the grill as, you know, the domain of Saturday afternoon or like tailgating for a football game or something. But we've seen a significant uptick in both the meals and the days of the week. So seeing a lot more people barbecuing their breakfast or a a different other meal, seeing people doing it on a weeknight that they weren't doing it beforehand has really been a significant change. Yeah, we like to see that because we've spent a lot of time in other departments really promoting that idea that people should be using their grills all the time, just as a side note. But let's talk about hearth. We are uh, entering hearth season, so um, people are going to start firing up their fireplaces. So we had the um, hearth consumer research earlier this year in 22. So talk about what did you see there? What are the interesting uh, facts that came out, trends, anything else? It it kind of refers back to that bit where we were talking about COVID beforehand. And the last iteration we did of this was actually right at the beginning of COVID. So we were actually collecting data in the March of 2020 when we had done this. And at that time, everyone was like, what is COVID? So we didn't necessarily have questions in there at the time, but we definitely knew from purchase intent and some of the other questions what might be going on. And... Hearth product ownership between that report and this year's, the 2022 version, ownership jumped almost tenfold percentage points. Again, a lot of that might be COVID panic buying, but that's a substantial thing. You can't necessarily just chalk that up to one specific event or behavior. Um, the some In terms of actually like really good trends for the industry to hear about and think about is satisfaction among owners remains consistently high. And when I say high, I mean high. We're talking 85% plus, and this is regardless pretty much of fuel type, appliance design type. Folks just like the product. Once they have it in their metaphorical hands and it's in their house, they like it and they're satisfied with it. They don't want to change it. Um, Ooh, also really important, the growing prevalence, and it does tie into some of the barbecue data as well, of, of outdoor hearth products. When we talk about outdoor living, that is, cons- for the past three iterations, I think, the most frequently cited in terms of when you're talking to purchase intent in the next couple of years, that's what people say they want to buy. That's where their money and their dollars are going is towards an outdoor fire feature or hearth product of some sort. It's not necessarily the indoors stuff. Um, And let's see. Oh, you can't leave it out. I mean, we're online all the time anyways. And we all know people are doing research on things online. But they're not necessarily necessarily most informed all the time and everything, but they're doing research. So we knew that was happening. But roughly a third of purchasing of hearth products is now occurring online. 
that's up substantially from when I started. I don't have that number right in front of me, but I want to say when I started, that was more half that, like 15%. And now I think the most recent, it was like 36% made their purchase online. A lot of that is potentially, you know, not heavily installed. It's cash and carry. It's some of that outdoor product. But it definitely demonstrates that the industry needs to be aware and really think about how online sales channels are really becoming a component that they need to think about. Yeah, we really don't want people buying a fireplace insert online and then trying to do it themselves. <laughs> we would thoroughly encourage people to go to a specialty retailer and talk to experts and make sure it's the right product for their space. But when it comes to, as you say, these outdoor products or some, I guess some of the electric fireplaces would fall into a category that people could just cash and carry, I think that'd be okay. Yes. And I also think it's important to think about it in the sense of it's not just maybe completing the sale. Maybe the person comes in and looks at your in your brick and mortar location, but they complete the sale when they go home through your website. So they are still buying it from you. They're still buying your installation packages and everything. But it's kind of like how you can now buy a car. You can go to the dealership and do a test drive, but then you turn around and you actually complete the purchase online. Well, and it shows something I, we didn't specifically talk about earlier, but for our members, our retailer members, the importance of having a robust online presence. Make yourself findable. So if somebody's actually researching that they're going to find you, you can always find your local retailer through our website, but making sure that when somebody goes to a retailer website, they have some information to work with there. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, another good a good way people could be using this research, and we hope they do. So, okay, so the Hearth Consumer Research, I mean, we hear the phrase fireplace culture. Maybe we just use it internally a lot, but fireplace culture, what, what does the research tell us about how people are thinking these days? So this is one of those spots that gets tricky, and this is where we start talking about those personas I mentioned beforehand. That we have to think about there's no one universal culture. Um, we want to always enhance it, and, and in that sense, I think we're talking about the same thing that we want people to have these products available, we want them to enjoy it, and everything like that. But you can't talk about fireplace culture without talking about. You know, you have different parts of them operating. You have people who, and in our research, we, we broke these out into five different personas. We called them the hearth resistors, the hearth innovators, the atmosphere indulgers, the hearth fanatics, and the independent utilitarians. And each of these personas and groups have some of their own unique factors that kind of group them together. What are the things that they are finding important and, and what, what do they not care about? So like, just give you an example, like the, the hearth innovators, we, they're the group on our surveys of the younger consumers who kind of influence the purchasing and the behaviors of others in their lives. They want a more modern, sleek look to the product. They want it to be energy efficient. Um, and they're a growing component of the market. So they've they've gone up from under 30% to almost 40%. Um, whereas, like, you know, our hearth fanatics are kind of 
when many of us who have been in the industry for a while think of like the long-term customer, that's, that's our hearth fanatic. And understanding like each of these different groups makes up a different part of the marketplace. And they each have their unique challenges and problems that they want our products to address is really like it's it's a component where i why i keep saying there is no one size fits all user there is no one size fits all culture and recognizing that there's specific little components to it that we can address using data and and really picking out like how do i solve this person's problem is going to be very dependent on what kind of person they are what what is their actual problem yeah, what motivates them? I exactly. Mean, the motivations. And again, I, you can see from the uh, manufacturer and the retail perspective, the value of this sort of research to help them make better decisions about, you know, how are you going to market? You'd market differently to a hearth fanatic than a um, than an innovator. I might not be using the exact right word. Uh, and same goes for the manufacturers of, you know, what, what products are you going to be looking to bring on the market? Right. And, and the other thing you can always look at in terms of this data is how do you convert someone from one category to another? So I know the important one for us to think about as an industry is the hearth resistors. So they might have a product in their house, but they don't, they they have no interest in it anymore. How do you take someone who is actively rejecting a product and make them at least engage with you? Like that, that's, that's a component of what this data can help you do. Well, that's all really interesting. And, and again, I always hope that our members understand the value of what, what we give them here and, uh, and use it to in, improve their own business, you know, sales and, and uh, development of new products. But while I have you here, Cameron, I want to just ask you just to give me a quick rundown. What else do you do in the research department to help the HPBA members? So there's a lot of different things I do. Some of it is heavily still related to the consumer research, actually. Um, I get a lot of requests for, can I see data in a different way than is necessarily shown in the report? Um, You know, can I see it by a specific demographic? Can I see it by, or a location? Can I see it by certain other cuts or certain things. So I, I manipulate that backend data a lot for members to give them information that they specifically are seeking out. Uh, we also have several different shipment programs that operate on the hearth appliance side that I administer. Um, there's two that are annual and there's a venting program that is quarterly. Um, and we're always looking for manufacturers who are willing to participate to to share their data and it what it really does is that information gets used internally through our advocacy and government affairs department to help make the case like these products are this prevalent not necessarily what someone else might be saying they're used in our promotions and then for the participants they still get a report back that helps them understand how their category is performing and and what kind of information they can gather from there. I also administer a uh, market research library. It's basically 
a collection of a bunch of secondary research from other firms, stuff like from the census. Um, and it's on our website and you can access it. And it it's just a nicely collected, collated kind of place to go find it. So you don't have to potentially, you know, go tracking down like, I've got to go find this in a U.S. government website, and then I've got to go to somewhere completely different. And how much Googling do you want to do? The other stuff I do is a little more, I would say, custom and ad hoc. We have had some opportunities to look at doing custom uh, consumer market research, whether for an individual company or a group of similarly minded companies with a similar question kind of coming to us and saying, hey, we need research that addresses this specific topic, not these more general topics. Could you help with that? And then the last thing probably that I really do on an ongoing basis is help members understand, like, if we don't have it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So let me help look, kind of operate like a reference librarian. Like if you think about going into the library and say like, I, I need to find a book about X. And I can, I know a good number of those sources to go around, poke at, and, and either find it myself or tell you who might be able to help you. That's a lot of work. I, you stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement. And uh, I, again, I hope the members appreciate that, but I appreciate the fact that you could take some time today to sit down and go through all this with us and uh, provide a little bit of a background of what the research department does and, and specifically the, important of this, the importance of the consumer research and how our members can use that. So thank you for being here today. It's been my pleasure. I really like this kind of stuff, and I really like seeing people get excited about it and understand it doesn't have to be scary. And it can be really helpful for you. Well, thank you. I think that is the perfect way to close this. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. As the Trade Association for the Barbecue and Hearth Industries, we want to provide updates on the topics that affect us all. For more information, visit us at hpba.org and follow us on our social media channels. Be on the lookout for our next episode coming soon.